thanks. Thanks for leading us, team. Uh, and we're so blessed with the truth in those songs and just the ability of this team to lead us. Um, if you have a copy of God's Word, we're going to start out in Genesis chapter 21. So if you would go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 21, that's where we're going to be. And we're going to be launching from there into several other places in God's Word. Um, so you can keep your finger there, but we're going to look at all of the story kind of leading up to this point and after. We started a few weeks ago looking at uh, the story of the patriarchs, or fathers, that are in Genesis. And hopefully from these stories of the fathers of faith, we are instructed and encouraged and, uh, and just informed about how God works with his people. And so I want you to read this with me prayerfully. If you're new in the room, he already mentioned, we'd love to get your contact information. Um, we'd love to know that you're here. You can fill out the form and drop it in the give boxes on the right and on the left of the doors on your way out. And then I also want to let you know, um, because at the end, we're kind of brain shot, you know. I, I want you to know that this afternoon at four o'clock, we're going to have a member class. So if you're interested, you've been around for a while and you want to know what we believe and what our members covenant to do, we're going to meet in this room at 4 p.m. Um, and go through those things. And so if you'd like to, to do that, you can RSVP on our website or you could just show up. I think we got like extra papers and stuff for people just to come and learn about. Um, we'd love for you to be here for that. And then again, let's just focus our hearts and minds to read this passage of Scripture prayerfully and to receive all that God might have for us today, starting in verse 1 of chapter 21 of Genesis. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, bore him Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham and Sarah would nurse children, yet I've borne him a son in his old age. This is the word of the Lord together. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray that just as Laura has already prayed, that we would have mind and hearts and ears ready to receive this word. And that this gospel truth, the point pointing to Christ and in this passage, the ways in which we might learn and think about how faith gets lived out. I pray that you would plant these seeds of faith in the room today and that they would bear forth fruit in our lives. Fruits of obedience and joy and laughter. And I pray this all for the sake of your great name, Jesus. Amen. I love this story. And, I, and last week we got to go through Genesis chapter 15. And so we're skipping several things that we're going to kind of scan over. But one of the reasons I love this story is because it's no doubt a miracle. If you were to read the headline of this story, it would read something like this. 100-year-old father and 90-year-old mother welcome their firstborn son. Like, if you're reading the headline of this story, it's appropriate that people in the room would laugh at this story. In fact, Sarah said in this passage, everyone who hears this story would laugh. 
And my wife has stories about our children being born, stories about how I behaved in the, uh, in the room where they were born. You can ask her about those stories. Many of you have stories about how you were brought into this world, maybe given to you by your parents. There's lots of times where we'll look at our kids and we'll tell them about the day they were born. It was about this time of the day. This is what was going on around you. And we let them know this because it's really special to us. It's precious. Some of you guys have stories of adoption in the room where you recount, here's how you were brought into our family. This is our story of becoming a family. And not many of us have the number of details that surround Isaac's birth. It's a miracle story. Now, just as all of us have a birth date, um, some of you may be having some of those interesting stories. Every person who belongs to Christ, you also have a story of how it came to pass. I want you to think for a moment, all of the number of events and things that had to happen for you to be found in this room today, listening to this passage of Scripture, singing these songs together. And maybe you don't realize it, but there's lots of miracles that have happened. One of, my th- one of the things that I love about being a pastor and elder in this church is that when people come into our church through the membership process, one of the things that they do is they relay their story of faith to us. And so every elder, at some point, or every person who's a member sits down with an elder and tells their story. This is kind of my story of faith. And there's some people who have stories of faith that just look ordinary, right? I was born in a family that believed. That family taught me about Jesus, and I I just believed this. And there's some people who have miraculous stories that are hard to believe if they were to tell them to you about how God had plucked them out of some place. And for everyone who belongs to Christ, that miracle of faith is true. There's a miracle story that starts here with God's people of a child being born in circumstances that cannot be explained outside of God working and moving. And so that's the headline for today, okay? 100-year-old man. 90-year-old woman have their firstborn child. But the headline for this passage and for the story of faith is that God fulfills his promises. He's faithful to do it. He always keeps his word. And we get to see that in this passage. Now we're going to look backwards because in verse 1 it says, it happens as God had said, as he had promised. And so there's going to be three parts of this passage we'll look at first. It'll be on the screen. Hope deferred. What did it look like for them to have received this word and it had not yet come to pass? Second, how did this promise come to be fulfilled? And the last, we'll look at their response of obedience and joy. That's where we're going today. And I want to start by reading this proverb because I was, somebody uh, quoted this proverb to me this week, and it made me think about this passage. In Proverbs 13, it says this, the Lord, uh, uh, hope deferred, makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And in this passage, you see both parts of that. The hope that had been deferred for years, for 25 years. And you see this desire that both Abraham and Sarah becomes, it comes to fruition comes to pass. So we're going to look at it starting in verse 1. You can follow along with me. 
The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Now, I want to focus on these two phrases for just a moment. As he had said and as he had promised. This story begins with a couple. They're not a young couple. We don't know how long they've been married. They're 75 and 65 years old when the story begins. They've set out from their known land, and right before God calls them out, we get this synopsis of what's happening. We know that Abram exists, we know that Sarah exists, and this is the story of what we know of them. In Genesis 11.30, it says this, Now Sarai was barren, and she had no child. Double whammy. It's saying, look, she doesn't have children. She's not able to have children. Before the promise is introduced to Abraham that he's going to be the father of nations, we start in this context of a couple that's been married, I don't know how long, but long enough for them to know that they cannot have children. And it's one thing to be barren or to be childless, but it's quite another thing for God to look at you and say, you're going to have a kid. This introduces this tension that continues to grow over the next 10 chapters between Genesis chapter 12 to Genesis 21, where we're at today. The tension continues to grow. God would promise He promises things to Abraham, and Abraham's like, what gives? And then he reassures him, no, you're going to have a kid. This this happens in Genesis 12. He says, you're going to be a father of nations. Then he comes back to him in Genesis chapter 15. He says, I'm going to be a shield. Your reward is going to be very great. And, And Abraham's response, do you remember this from last week? His first response to God trying to reassure him in this moment is, hey, wait a minute. Look at this in verse 3 of chapter 15. It's going to be on the screen. Abraham said, But Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Behold, this is the word that came to him right after this. This man shall not be your heir, for your very own son shall be your heir. So already Abraham's looking at his circumstance and saying, I can see a way that this could possibly come to pass. Look, I've got an heir, Eleazar of Damascus. He can inherit everything, but he does not have posterity. God assures him, no, you're going to have a child. Years pass. In fact, 10 years passes. They've been living with this reality for this long, that they've been, however long they've been married, and now with a promise that they're going to have a kid. And Sarah decides to, that the, the waiting needs to stop. Sarah says to Abram, this is in chapter 16, the next chapter, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Before I get to the next part of this verse, she's saying, look, the one who promised this thing to me has prevented this thing from happening for me. Can you imagine the tension that she must have felt in this moment? God who promised has prevented. And she suggests something in this verse that would have been customary during that time. People were not shocked or covering their mouth that she suggested this. She says, go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And God grants to Hagar to conceive. Now, it's really interesting to me all throughout this story, the number of times that the womb or God's blessing or deferring the blessing is in God's control. 
okay? She's acknowledging in this moment, my womb is in the Lord's hands. She knows that only God could open and close the womb, and obviously she was unable at this moment. She suggests something that, that she would later regret. Abraham listens to her, and then she gets pregnant. Now, this is interesting because, again, God had to open Hagar's womb in order for this to happen. If she's saying, this is deferred for me, or this is not something I'm able to do, obviously, God is able to do it here. And it's going to come up again, and I'm pointing it out for a reason. She gets pregnant. And this is good in the sense that Abraham is now going, okay, now I can see how God's going to fill his promise. It's going to happen in this way. I'm going to have an offspring. And until this point, Abraham has no offspring, just an heir. And now the tension seems to be relieved for just a moment. And Sarah says to Abraham, this is not okay. Hagar gets pregnant and she's like looking at Sarah going, obviously this was your fault that you guys have been childless all this time. She's looking at Sarah with contempt. And Sarah comes back down to, back to Abraham and says, may the Lord judge between me and you, which is another way of saying, I'm judging you, Abram. Okay? Anybody says, let the Lord be the judge between us? They're judging you. They just don't have the justice to en enact. Okay? Just a side note here. Sometimes in the tension that we feel between God's promises and the hope that we have, we have a list of solutions that make sense to us. Some of us, maybe we have really good options that we bring to God in prayer. I don't know if you've ever been to a mechanic and you try to instruct, instruct them about what's going on under the hood. Or you go to the doctor, the doctors in the room say, yes, I know this is true. Everyone has a suggestion for what's wrong with them and what you might do to solve this solution. Lots of solutions that we might come up with. And sometimes our imagination is right, but most of the time they're wrong. As we're waiting on the Lord, the place that they're waiting, sometimes we see these things where we're saying, hey, I can see how God might bring this about. Because usually God's plan takes longer than we would like. It happens in a different way than we would like. They don't unfold how we would imagine. And sometimes they just don't unfold in this lifetime. And in this moment, they come up with a solution that ends up being more of a problem than a solution later. And I can almost assure you, it doesn't say this, but I, can, I think that it's safe to bet that Abraham regretted his decision. I just, for some of you that are waiting right now, and it feels like you're waiting, there's so many unknowns ahead of you. You don't know what it looks like. I want to remind you that patience is a fruit of the Spirit. And impatience is typically a fruit of the flesh. Just typically. This is a side note of wisdom. It seems like the tension is resolved until we get to Genesis 17. Abraham's thinking, okay, finally I got Ishmael. Everything's going to be great. It's all going to be fine. And then God shows up again. He says, I'm going to bless you. And he, makes, he reestablishes his covenant with him. He appears to him. He changes his name from Abram to Abraham, which means father to like really awesome father. He changes Sarah's name, Sarai, to Sarah, Sarah. And God gives them this sign of the covenant circumcision where every male would be born into their family, moving forward would be circumcised as a sign of the covenant to remember that one day there would be a seed that comes from this lineage that would bless all the nations. And he gives this new word in the midst of changing both their names and saying, now you've got this thing called circumcision. In the middle of that, he says, actually, 
I want you to know the way that you've worked out is not how I've worked it out. Look at verse uh, chapter 17. He's talking about Sarah after he changes her name. He says, I'm going to bless her. And moreover, I'm going to give you a son by her. I will bless her and she'll become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. And then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who's 90 years old, bear a child? He's falling on his face and laughing. And I can assure you that this laugh is different than the laugh that Sarah has when she has a child. It's the kind of laugh that seems impossible. Anybody ever tell you something that you're like, there's no way that's going to happen? Like that sounds ridiculous and silly. Maybe it's the kind of laugh when someone asks you to accomplish something that you know is impossible. Like if I told you this time next year you'd be competing in the world's strongest man competition, I'm, I guarantee you every person in this room would say, that's hilarious. He suggests to God in this moment, no, I really would prefer you just work this out in the way that I've arranged, okay? I've made arrangements, God. Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, no, but Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. This is important too, because he tells him in this moment, you're going to name him a specific thing that means laughter. I'll establish your, my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. You ever been there where you're like, why can't you just use the plan that I've laid out? Why can't you just, I have this way arranged, God. It's all going to unfold. No, he can't. And that's how he responds to Abraham. You can't. Sarah's going to bear a son. You're going to call him Isaac. First, Abraham laughs in unbelief. Then he suggests some other way that he could arrange in his own strength. And then we have chapter 18. God comes with his word again to him and promises that he's going to return within a year and they're going to have a child. The Lord said, surely I'll return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him and now Abram and Sarah were old, advanced in years. Now this is important because they keep saying, these people are old. The way of women have ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord responds and says, hey, I could hear you laughing. And then he says this, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah shall have a son. It's not wrong that they would laugh at the impossibility. It's not. In fact, there's lots of things that you look at right now and you're saying, this is impossible, I cannot change it. And you know what? God would agree with you. It actually is impossible for you to change it. It's not wrong to recognize the limitations of their humanity. In this moment, God is saying, what you're not recognizing is that there's not anything that's impossible for me. How great is our God? One of, uh, I love that song, How Great Is Our God, that we used to sing, you know, and this praise song. And sometimes I just turn it around and I ask the question, how great do we need God to be? 
Because some people have like really puny problems. I cannot relate to you. I cannot relate to you. Okay? If you do not, if you only have problems that you think you can solve, I cannot relate to you. I don't know what house you live in. I don't know your address. It seems to me that the people God is working with all throughout the scriptures are people who have problems or situations that are beyond their control and beyond their means. Seems like that. If you have a solution to everything that troubles you, the chances are you're not troubled by the right things. The invitation to walk with Christ, to live with Him, to walk by faith is to live in this tension between what we know things should be and the reality of what they are. And we might live in that tension for the rest of our lives. We may live there for the rest of our days, but that's the place we pray from. That's the place we live in. In that laugh of impossibility. (laughs) There's no way. Do you guys know the sound of that laugh? Some coaches will know that laugh when they tell their team that they have what it takes to win when they're down by too many points. (laughs) Deep down, the the team is looking at (laughs) like, yeah, this guy's silly. Parents know this laugh, right? When you tell your kids, like, it's going to be okay. You're going to be fine. The kids look at you and say, do you not see the problems in front of me? Your spouse knows this laugh when you assure them that, or you know this as a spouse, if you assure them you're going to remember the next time after the hundredth time of being reminded. All of us are familiar with this kind of laugh around impossibility, but there's no one more familiar with it than God himself. He's so familiar. Imagine his heart as he speaks hope over all of his children. He speaks it. And in so many ways, our response is so similar to them. There's some of you that would look at your life or your marriage or your kids or your spiritual life and say, the mess that I've made is beyond redemption. And I want to ask you this question. Is there anything that's impossible for God? Is there anything too wonderful for God? Some of your translations probably read that. They don't say, is anything too hard for God? Some of them will say, is there anything too wonderful for God? What a beautiful word. And I want to assure you too that any time that God invites us into belief, right on the heels of that belief is doubt. It's just part of the process. Many of you are dealing with doubt today and and, uh, feeling like it's impossible to move forward in faith. And and I want you to know that, that I really think that it's impossible for humans to walk in faith without some element of doubt mixed and mingled into that. Saying, I don't know how he's going to do this. I'm setting out into the unknown. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know how he's going to do it. I have no idea. But I'm walking forward with both faith and an element of I don't know. I have no idea. Frederick Buechner, uh, who's a writer and was a, a pastor. And listen, there's a load of things that I disagree with him about, okay? 
just preemptively say that. If you're looking to this guy for some orthodox uh, theology, look other places. But for a poetic grasp on what I'm talking about, he says this. Faith is a way of waiting, never quite knowing, never quite hearing or seeing. Because in the darkness, we're, we are all but a little lost. There's a doubt hard on the heels of every belief. Fear hard on the heels of every hope. And many holy things lie in ruins because the world has ruined them and we have ruined them. But faith waits even so. Delivered at least from that final despair which gives up waiting altogether because it sees nothing left waiting for. He goes on to say, faith waits. In contrast to giving up, faith waits. For the opening of a door, the sound of footsteps in the hall, that beloved voice delayed, delayed so long that there are times when you all but give up hope of ever hearing it. And when at moments you think you do hear it, if only faintly from far away, the question is, can it possibly be, impossibly be that one voice of all voices? Some of you are waiting in the dark, and I, I just, I want to speak this to you because I, I, I know what that's like to wonder, will God ever speak again? And if you're in some period of waiting, hope in the promises of God's Word. He always keeps His promises. Now, I want to scan through some things while they hoped, and, and I'm going to go really fast because we skipped over several chapters here before we move on to him delivering, okay? These are important because I want you to understand that it wasn't just the waiting for the child that was going on. The world around them was messed up, okay? If it was just the waiting and like walking with faith, that would be enough to create tension, but the world that they're waiting in is still messed up, Okay? On top of the infertility, if that wasn't enough of a problem, there's problems outside of that, right? Each one of us probably could draw a target around our number one issue. But then right outside of that issue, there's like another issue and another issue and another issue. And in the passage leading up from the promise up to this, there's a lot of things that happen, okay? There's some tension in the messed up, conflicted world. The first one is they, the destruction of Sodom. You can go read this story and Abraham interceding saying, hey, if anybody there is righteous, don't, don't uh, destroy the city. Turns out no one's righteous. The city gets destroyed, okay? In the midst of that, Lot and his daughters are saved, which seems good, right? You're like, okay, at least these guys are saved. But no, it's messed up too. Lot's daughters get him drunk, have sex with him, and have two kids. Again, the ability to conceive in the context of sin is just like mind-boggling when Sarah's going, where's the child? Where's the child? Where's the child? Incest, drunkenness, and there's two more children that would lead to the Ammonites and the Moabites, which just, by the way, are going to create problems for God's people for the rest of their existence in the land, okay? Like, it's bad, Sodom gets destroyed, Lot and his daughters get drunk, and then the last thing, Sarah, you got this other conflict where Abraham is like, she's my sister again, and then she gets to be part of this harem, okay? Abimelech is this king of sorts, and he has this dream once he takes Sarah into his harem, and it's like, God tells him, don't sleep with her, she's another man's wife. 
In fact, go back to Abraham and ask him to pray with you. Why? Because it's going to be bad for you if you don't. So he brings back Abraham's wife and he's like, you shouldn't have done that, man. You almost made me sin. And at the end of chapter 20, right before this verse where Sarah gives birth and God visits her, there's this prayer. And you got to wonder, like, this, if this doesn't, like, sum it up, okay? Abraham prays to God, and God heals Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. Can you imagine Abraham praying for some stranger king, and suddenly they're all able to have kids, and there he is with his wife? Verse 18, for the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abram's wife. Somewhere in the midst of this, you got to just look at it and go, man, this is hard. He's praying for other people and they're able to have kids. Imagine the frustration that has built up to this point. It's enough to make your heart sick. It's enough to look at and say, this this doesn't seem right. And there in the midst of hope deferred, just like Proverbs 13, 12 says, desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And right after this, God visits Sarah. We're going to put it on the screen again in verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time which God had spoken to him. (laughs) Is there anything better than God's promise fulfilled? Look, if we don't look at the context of all those things kind of unfolding, we'll go like, okay, check. God did what he said. You have to understand 25 years, God had said to him, you're going to set out and you're going to be a father of many nations. And up until this point, it's looking like, well, maybe this, maybe this, some other solution. And then God breaks through in the midst of that and fulfills his promise. His word is sure. This is what the psalmist says in Psalm 33, for the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. He's faithful to fulfill his promise. And that's not a small deal, especially if you've been living in the tension of feeling like nothing is as it should be. Isaiah 40, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. We can plant our feet on this, that when God says something, he's going to do it. It's not just that his word is faithful. Abraham was as good as dead, okay? That's what Romans 4.19 says. It says, his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and when he considered the bareness of Sarah's room. And then it goes on to say this, okay? As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of God whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. God's power is, his word is faithful, but his power is being demonstrated in the particular life of Abraham and Sarah. It's, he, not, he has two kinds of power that it names in Romans chapter 4. It says that he has the power to bring dead things to life. He has resurrection power. It's beyond even death that he's able to work. Not only can he resurrect dead things like Abraham and Sarah, They were as good as dead, the Bible says. But he also has creation power. 
This is the God who spoke things into existence that we're talking about, okay? By His Word, His power can bring things that do not exist into existence. And this is just one moment where we see it. We've already seen it in the story of creation, and now we see it in the particulars of this boy being born. He resurrects dead things. He brings things into existence that do not exist. He's all-powerful. He's able. He's reigning over all creation, every single cell. He holds them together by the word of his power. He's not negligent or distractive through, through all of those episodes in Abraham's life. He's attentive and he's able. And then the last thing I want you to see is not only is he powerful and faithful, his timing is perfect. His timing is perfect, unlike most of you. When you he's always on time, okay? He always shows up on time. He knows everything. He's omniscient. There's nothing outside of his... He's omnipotent. There's nothing outside of his command. Everything he's able to do that he wills. And there's nothing outside of his knowledge. He knew that a year later he was going to come back and there she would be with a child. Impossible things really are possible. The desire is fulfilled. God keeps his promises. And then I want to look really quickly at last at their responses. There's two things I want to notice from this. Back in chapter 17, Abraham was told by God, you're going to name him Isaac, and Abraham obeyed. Second, he circumcised his son just as God commanded him. It says that for a reason. Abraham's response to this good thing wasn't to go, okay, cool. It was awesome, but he, was, he responded in obedience he did what God had said for him to do. He didn't forget the command of God. In the years of waiting, at least between age 86, that's when he heard that he's going to have a boy named Isaac and he's going to have to circumcise him, to the age of 100, 14 years later, he fulfills the command of God. And then uh, second thing I want to notice is Sarah's joy. Look again at this verse 5. Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abram that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I've borne him a son in his old age. A couple things about her joy. First of all, she gives God the credit. God has made laughter for me. She acknowledges that it's his power that's worked this thing out. Not only does she give God the credit that he's able, that he's done it, but she recognizes that there's going to be this community of joy around her. Everyone who hears this is going to laugh with joy. Not only have you given me laughter, you've given it to everyone who would tell this story. So if you guys haven't laughed yet, here's your chance. They're witnessing and rejoicing with her. The desire that's been realized and and. I hope and pray this over us as a congregation. Not only that we would weep with the people who are weeping, but we'd be close enough to see God's story unfold and be witnesses to it in one another. So that at the end of the day, other people would laugh with us in the ways that God's working. You cannot do that if people don't know you. If you're in this room, but you have no real proximity to the lives of other believers, I want, I want to invite you into what it's describing here. There's people who would have have seen this, witnessed it, and longed with her for this reality. And when it came to pass, they were laughing out loud alongside of her. The desire is now realized. 
I'm wrapping up, I promise. These are the kind of moments that we long for. And typically they're scattered out throughout the Christian life, confirming to us that God's working, confirming that impossible things can be possible, that he's always going to keep the promises he's made, that he's sovereign over everything, that he controls the heavens and the earth. There's nothing that he cannot do. And so my invitation for us today would be not just to look at their response, but that we would rejoice in God's faithfulness. I pray this. And some of you have miracle birth stories, stories of God's faithfulness specific to your family, miracle stories even of salvation where God plucked you out of your own destruction and said, this one's mine, this one belongs to me. And for everyone in Christ, you have a miracle story of new birth. But he's miraculously not just making an individual in this moment. He's bringing something to pass. So how would this group of people read this in the first time it was written down? When Moses wrote this down for the people coming out of Egypt, how would they have received this? They would have looked at this and said, this is not just his story. This is the story of everyone walking around together. This is our story. This is our origin story. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says it this way, by faith, her, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. And when God made those promises to Abraham of the sand and the stars, he had people in mind, a people for his own possession that he would call out and make his own. And every time we get to proclaim this gospel and by God's power, his word comes alive to a human heart and they get claimed by God to be part of his family. This is what that looks like. It's this group of people, a redeemed people who belong to him. The power and provision in that day was in the hope of the days to come. In fact, Jesus said that Abraham looked forward to his day and was like, this is going to be amazing. Jesus in John 8 said this, He, your father Abraham, rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. In other words, he's not just seeing Isaac as this immediate provision. He's seeing the ways that Isaac, through Isaac, the future promise would be fulfilled. And for us, we don't just receive this gift of faith in Christ, but we receive the promise of all that will come. We rejoice in God's faithfulness to receive, just as Sarah did, the power of God to bring forth something alive from death. Look at verse 13 of Hebrews. It says this. These all died in faith, having, not having received the things promised. In other words, they had received Isaac, but that wasn't it. That was the beginning of things. And having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiled on earth, there's two ways that they would have rejoiced and received. First, it looked like a greeting, Okay that they would have looked forward. And can you imagine greeting someone from afar? 
They're walking off in the distance. They can barely even see you and you can't see them. This is how they greeted the days that we're living in. From afar, they looked forward to Christ. They longed for it. And they, did, they didn't just rejoice and greet him from afar. They acknowledged something else, that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They received the reality in their time, and they died in faith, knowing that it was a promise of things to come. It was a provision of what was coming. Christ redeemed us, past tense, and future. We look forward to the day when we see him face to face. In Galatians, it talks about this promise being fulfilled in Christ. He redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That's you guys. That's everyone in this room. Everyone who would be added so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So Christ comes through another miracle baby, born of a virgin, born under the law, that he might redeem us. The miracle story of Isaac points to this future miracle story of Christ coming. And for us who believe, the story of him coming again. One of my favorite uh, singer-songwriters from the 90s, he died in 97, is Rich Mullins. I just love Rich Mullins. He wrote Awesome God, if you didn't know. He wrote another praise song called Sometimes by Step that you probably only sang the chorus for. It says... uh, Oh God, you are my God and I will ever praise you. You remember that? And I'll seek you in the morning. In verse two of that song, he says this. Sometimes I think of Abraham, how one star he saw had been lit for me. And he was a stranger in this land and I am that no less than he. And on this road to righteousness, sometimes the climb can be so steep. I may falter in my steps, but never beyond your reach. When I think of this story, It's a beautiful picture of this assurance that God's claiming a people for his own and we greet them from afar and we've been promised. We have the reality of Christ and his spirit, but we've been promised that that is just an echo of what's to come. Jesus said to his followers in John 16, I'll leave you with this. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Sarah's joy might have lasted for a couple years, okay? But as soon as they weaned him, they threw a big party for Isaac and Ishmael, probably 13, 16 years old. He's somewhere in there and he's watching over from the the sidelines and he starts snickering at this little kid. And suddenly, all that Sarah was rejoicing in was disturbed. Between this day and the day that Christ comes again, there's going to be tons of interruptions like that where your joy will be disturbed and it will be shaken for a moment. We have this promise that there's a day coming where no one will be able to take your joy from you. And that's what we live in today. May it be for us. Let's pray to that end. Father, thank you for your words. I pray that that, uh, they would take root in our hearts so that we too might be faithful. Rejoicing in what you've done and rejoicing in what you will do. Trusting between this day and the day that we see you face to face that you'll hold us fast. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.